What's up and welcome to Sweathead with Mark Pollard. I have Philip Pasteur, P-A-S-T-E-R, like Louis Pasteur, but without the U. Philip is in Ukraine and we're going to talk about what's happening in Ukraine. Philip, thank you for being here today. Thank you, Mark, for inviting me. I can't remember when it was. It's two or three years ago, maybe before the pandemic. I think you had sent out a message to people about Sweathead and we had something like 70 to 100 people from Ukraine join the Sweathead group. I think we've been in touch since around that time. I feel and I felt that you play something of a community leader role. You're sort of aware of what's happening in your strategy community, your advertising community, and thought it'd be good and useful to have a chat about what's happening in Ukraine right now. I don't know exactly how to have this conversation, but I'm here to listen. I want the stories that you're going to tell to reach people. Philip, we are, I think, three-ish weeks into Russia's invasion of Ukraine. I know people call it a war. I feel like whatever's worse than a war is what this is. How are you feeling? Well, Mark, thank you for such introduction. I feel uh, really shitty, actually, because inside me there is like a cocktail of the emotions that i trying to fight with. Uh, some are aggression, some are I'm feeling weak because I can't do things I want to do to help my people in Ukraine help my country to survive not only having a warm bed at the night but survive because some cities are being eliminated from the map near the key we have like the small cities on the outstrips and they are fully destroyed there are no war how russia called them the war in infrastructure there are none mm. there are schools and so on so on i'm like crying right now when i'm saying this I don't know. Yeah, I understand. And Sorry. It's totally fine. This is not even a conversation to quote unquote get through. We're just here to listen. So however you feel, your subjective reality, it's a safe space for that. And I'm going to do my best to give you slightly useful questions while feeling completely ill-equipped to do so. So what you're talking about is there are cities not super close to Kyiv, which is the center of Ukraine, or at least politically speaking, and they're being destroyed, even though they don't have substantial military forces there. So you're saying that essentially these innocent cities are just being demolished for kind of no particular reason, although I'm sure there is some kind of reason. This is probably going to be one of the most quote unquote televised, reported, live streamed wars, which to me is still not the right word, wars ever. How are you seeing all of this? Is your day just observing what's happening in other places and hoping that maybe today you're safe? Tell me a little bit about your daily reality. We have this popular messenger called Telegram. It's messenger from the creator of the Russian social network called Kontakte, like an analog of the Facebook. He left the Russia because of the pressure from the government and Right now, he's probably in the Arabic Emirates, something like that. It's not important, but the messenger is encrypted, so it's safe for any form of conversation between people. So messenger has an option to form some sort of news feeds. So basically, there are a lot of channels dedicated to a particular city in the Ukraine, and each of those channels give you nonstop video, photo, online translations, facts about the war. So basically, your Telegram messenger 
is Netflix of the war. You can choose any city of the Ukraine. You can open the channel and you can see all that pain. I don't know how to describe it, actually. I think Sorry. you did a very good job of describing it. It sounds like a lot and it sounds painful. Before we started recording, you mentioned that you had a couple of things that you wanted to say. So I just wanted to give you a moment to discuss yeah, Mark, thank the you. things that you Actually, I, I had a two simple statements before okay. we start. The first one, I know that a lot of people from the different countries are listening to this podcast, as I did all these years before. So I know the support that they give Ukraine in any kind of way, either it's money or just warm words, because people that I met in my life, even for once when I was in the different country, they writing to me, they are asking, how are you? How can I help you? And I want to thank them for their help because every Ukrainian sees their help and we feel like we are the part of the world that is on the good side, if you can say that in the reality we have. So I wanted to thank them for all their support. And the second statement is very simple. The Ukraine is the biggest country in the Europe in terms of area. So the war that is happening is different in all parts of our country. From the south to west, from the east to north, I can't represent all that pain that people in those regions far from the Kyiv, where I currently live, are witnesses of. So my answers and my experience would be very subjective. And I want to people to understand clearly, if I feel bad right now, those people are feeling terrible. Yeah. Yeah, and no, I understand. And I, I, look, I appreciate you for being here. And none of us expect you to represent an entire population but I know you're going to try to help us make a little bit more sense of it. It's been interesting seeing some of the facts come out about Ukraine. I mean, it, you know, I grew up in Australia and Ukraine was behind a curtain, an iron curtain. And one of my favorite people, one of my favorite planners, her family's from Ukraine, but we still didn't have a lot of exposure to the country and what it was about. We'd come across it perhaps through football slash soccer, famous players. I didn't realize it was so big and there are things like potato and wheat that are massive in Ukraine and contribute to so much of the world's food. I don't mean to be trivial, but there's what's blown me away in the past few years as I've done this podcast is I feel personally so much in common with so many people when I speak to them, but there can be like this process where I'm like, oh yeah, I remember when I was a kid and Ukraine was like this really distant kind of scary thing, USSR, etc. And I have to reprogram my head. And then I wonder, like, why was it programmed in that way in the first place? Because the people I come across, especially through these kinds of conversations, are always beautiful and interesting and intriguing. And I think the question that connects to that is, how does it feel being in such a big, historically important country, but probably misunderstood, underestimated by the rest of the world? And I know that's a loaded question, but at least a bit misunderstood, you know, big important geographically historically but sort of the world hasn't always known ukraine so let's de describe the system that actually builds the image of any country the first part of the system is the political elites that are, are being vocal on the international 
arena, yeah, on the, I don't know, the NATO forums or economical forums anywhere. So I need to agree that the elites of Ukraine for previous almost 30 years were not actually the ideal representation of regular civilians that live in Ukraine. So there was a gap between the elites that came from the Soviet Union political, I don't know, structure or mm-hmm. mindset yep. or whatever. So uh, when any, I don't know, president or parliament from the Western world, let's say, connects with our politicians, they treat country as they treat the politicians. That's why your question, this is a part of the answer, why everyone was treating Ukraine like it's some sort of evil thing came from the Soviet Union. But after the second revolution, the revolution of dignity that started when the Yanukovych president flee from our country, when he refuses to sign the agreement between the European Union and Ukraine in terms of economical questions like we sell you this one, wheat or oil or anything else, and you sell us technologies. There was a demonstration. Demonstration was beaten by the police. And then more and more people came to the streets. And uh, at some point, he used the firearms. He killed nearly more than 100 people in the center of our capital city in the Kiev. After that, he flee in the Russia. Uh, he recorded the message to Putin to use armed forces of the Russia to stop this or whatever thing. And that was like the beginning of the things that are happening right now. I'm what, sure. What year, was, what year was that? 2014. Like okay. it's end of the 13th year and the beginning of the 14th. It started from the annexation of Crimea and so on, so on, so on. One thing that I've come across is this idea or this thought that uh, Ukraine's been at war for a long time. Is that correct? Do you feel that? It's been at war at least since the annexation of Crimea. You know, Mark, I think that most of the people, when they hear the word war, they think about something from the Hollywood movies, like the Pearl Harbor or something like that. The current world that we lived in, it's so much more complicated in terms of the things one country can do for another country to say that this is some kind of the war. Like we can start from the propaganda that was brainwashed for all these eight years. Ukrainians was described for Russians as some sort of the evil. If the West was treating Ukraine as evil part of the Soviet Union, Ukrainians for Russians became like the ultra evil, like Nazis, Banderas or whatever they call us. So this reality that was formed by the media of Russia And I think it's true because some political experts and social experts say that this picture that Russia built in their market for their own people Mm -hmm. became the reality that their government are living in. So they are treating Ukraine in perspective of the picture that they built for themselves. So it's unrealistic picture. That's why when the USA intelligence forces said that the Russia will occupy the country for three or four days, the whole country of Ukraine, 
they were wrong as much as the Russia were wrong about their own ability to do anything in terms of the war in Ukraine. And this bombardment of the cities, some experts say, is because of the weakness of the actual land army of the Russians, because they can't do anything on the land, but they can destroy the cities. And this is like the worst part of it. Whenever I watch videos or listen to podcasts and people are sort of saying that Russia is not doing a good job, I, I get really nervous, which is not exactly what you said. I, I get nervous about that because if you're Russia, I think you're going to feel like you're being challenged or dared to do a better job. I, I do get nervous about that. Could you explain to us what the past few weeks have been like for you personally? Where have you been, if you're able to discuss that? Where have you been? How have your days been? Who have you been with? Sure, Mark. So basically, I live in the outskirts of the capital of Ukraine, in the Kiev. It's like residential area. We call it like a sleeping district. So there are like only the houses, not a lot of infrastructure in terms of like factories or anything like that. You have the markets, you have buildings, maybe some sort of the schools. So it's more for just living, walk around, and so on. And for me, war started, actually, our anti-air force system destroyed the rocket that were launched on the Kiev exactly on the top of my current apartment. So I woke up 21st of the February. It was 5 o'clock in the morning. I have a very big window on the left of my bed where I sleep in. And the sky was red. So I never seen the sky like that. It's a deep night. So the sunset is far away. So the explosion was so big. When I came to the window and I saw this red sky, saw the part of the explosion, I started shaking. I was shaking so much. Yeah. I went to the bathroom. I opened the hottest water I had in my apartment and I didn't feel any temperature of that water. I don't know which level of, I don't know how to call it, any hormone that is responsible for that kind of shit was in my body. But the level of that hormone was so big that I was like paralyzed in terms of any sort of feelings. So the second morning was the same, the same bombing at the same time and the same shaking. But after that, I don't know, either my mental system adapted or it just hide the feelings from me. But every day started from me the same. I woke up, I opened the media channels of our country and till the night I was consuming the content of the war and it never stopped for five days. I've made a breaks for making food, for eating, taking a shower and another time I was consuming the war content. And at some point after maybe the week of the consumption, closer to night, I feel so desperate. I cried for maybe two hours. Last time I cried like that when I was 14 years old. So it was, I don't know, almost 20 years ago. I couldn't stop crying. I imagined the pictures that I saw on the media channels. And I think about my family members that could be in this such situation. And I cried nonstop thinking about that thinking about the pain that people are suffering from. 
And at that point, I said that I need to stop for some time. And I did a break for two days. And after that break, I felt guilty. This is a new type of FOMO, yeah, like fear of missing out. But in terms of that, I don't know what's happening in my country. I don't know the pain that people are feeling right now. Mm. And this is like one of the war phenomenons where the civilians who are not part of the active war that is happening on the more eastern part of the country are feeling guilt about not being part of that. I don't know. It's crazy to think about, but it what it is. Yeah. When you talk yeah. about taking a break, you're saying taking a break from the news, right? You took a break from yeah. consuming the war content for a couple of days, just to clarify that. Are you near family or are you by yourself? So this is one of the not easy to solve situation because the Kiev city is basically situated on the two banks of the Dnieper River. It's like the largest river in the Europe. So it's very wide and we are divided by four or five bridges that we have. We don't have a lot of bridges, actually. This is one of the infrastructural problems that Kiev has. It's not a Paris where it's like bridge each 100 meters or so on. So basically, some of the bridges were destroyed because the forces of the Russia that possibly can come from the eastern part won't be able to cross the bridge and enter the central part of the city where actually the government are currently hiding from the bombings and so on. So bridges that are working, it's only two bridges. So you can imagine that cities that has 5 million people right now, it's not a 5 million, a lot of people left the city. But even if it's like 2 million or even 1 million, two bridges that can pass like three cars on the each line of the bridge, it's nothing. So we have this long queues of the cars that are trying to reach another part of the city. And for our family, it's a problem because in the center of the city, we have older family members who are almost 90 years old, who has a lot of medical problems, health problems, health issues that we need to treat and we need to find medical supplements for them. Right now it's a problem because all the places where you can buy them are closed or they don't have enough supplements because people bought them already. So it's like another crisis on top of another crisis. And for us, because I live in my own apartment, my father live in another apartment, one of my grandmothers live in the different apartment. And our family members from the father's side are living in the center. So a lot of our family members are living on the left bank of the city. But the most infrastructure that Russia being targeted are on the right side of the city. So it's like a logistical problem for us even to treat our family members with food or anything. Maybe a few days ago, we spent like three hours in the queue just to cross the bridge and bring them the products from the market. But the problem on top of that problem is that they don't have the COVID vaccines. So they're so old that my father, he's a medical worker. He was scared to give them the vaccine back then because he didn't know how the immune system will react on that vaccine. So basically they could die from the vaccine. He thinks about that. 
And right now, if we are even buying the products in the local market, we are contacting with a lot of people on the way, even though that I have like booster vaccine. Yeah, I have two vaccines, the regular one and months ago I did the booster vaccine. I cannot be sure that I can't bring the virus to these older people of our family. Right. Yeah, so it's, it's very hard for us. I'm sorry to hear that. What's on your mind when you wake up in the mornings? The first thing I do is I open the computer, I open this Telegram messenger, and I screen all the messages that I didn't read over the night. And then all the day I spent as I asked my parents, my friends, how they feel, where are they, are they safe? I don't know, I, I'm trying to do something. After that three or four days when the war started, I became a part of the like informational war that we have like this creative forces from Ukrainian industry that made some, I don't know how to call it. We tried to contact with the Russian people with the right messages. So we were finding those messages. We were trying to read them, explain them. Right now, we know that the Russia blocked all the social media like Twitter, Facebook, right now, the Instagram, the last probably source of information that cannot be controlled by the government is being closed or would be closed in a couple of days. YouTube is blocked. I know that right now, people who are responsible for PPC, like the paid content, like banners or any sort of advertising formats, they are targeting Western countries to read them, to describe the situation, to ask for the help for our country. Because we need a lot of humanitarian help because the logistics of the current situation is getting worse day by day. A lot of cities cannot supply the people who live in those cities with the products, with the basic products. We are not talking about some sort of fancy stuff, just the bread or the wheat or milk or eggs, whatever. Kyiv, uh, the situation of Kyiv is much better than any other eastern city of our country. I can only imagine what problems are having people on those cities like Kharkiv, for example, or Mariupol. Mariupol is the worst situation of all. The creative forces that you mentioned, I think that's with a capital C and a capital F. Like it's a thing, thing, right? Because I've seen that phrase in different places and I wasn't sure if it was just saying people from, say, advertising or the creative industries in Ukraine were doing some stuff, or if it's actually a formal thing. Is it a formal thing? I'm sure you understand me that uh, the creative industry is heavily ego-based industry. So sure. a, a lot of people are trying to express themselves in terms of any kind of help they can make. So when I say the creative force, Actually, it's like four or five big oases independent from each other that having their own goals, own instruments of reaching those goals. Not all of those instruments are maybe very empathic. Yeah. So the people are using all the resources and the ways they can to stop the war or reach the people in Russia. So they will rethink their situation because as i told you before support of the war in russia is it's insane all you can say is that they're sick of their propaganda they don't realize what actually happening here because even now 
they receive the picture on their media channels, it's fantastic because we are a very transparent country. So we receive all the TV shows that they have. We can see them. We can see the messages that they translating to their own citizen. Could you be more specific? I yes, think I can. Yeah. So the last information that we received was about the biological plants or whatever, laboratories in the Ukraine, the American government and Ukrainian government were uh, making new type of the coronavirus. It's absurd, but for Slavic DNA, especially, so the coronavirus would actually hit the only Slavic nations. It's a bullshit because if you actually any good in the history or I don't know, the culturology, the Ukrainians are part of the Slavic nations. And the gene that they are trying to use to target only Slavic nations would hit Ukraine at the first place, not Russia. So the amount of such incredible stories that Russian propaganda are making, it's out of this world. The second thing, the Russian forces are now controlling the Chernobyl atomic station. As you know, the HBO series that not long ago were online on the HBO channel about atomic power plant, the tragedy that happened in 1996. Mm -hmm. So right now, Russians are being in control of that station. And from our intelligence team, we received the information that they want to do some sort of provocation and say that the Ukrainian nationalists are actually attacked the station. And I don't know what they would do with the station. It's a faking or are they for real? What you're saying is that from what you understand, there's like a lot of support for the war in Russia, which might also have come through the Russian government, like that message that there's a lot of support. Do you feel that that has a lot of merit to it or is that kind of propaganda? I will answer from what I understood from the past uh, couple of days, because I actually spent some time to watch Russian content that uh, were made by the so-called opposing media yeah it's one of them is tv channel digital tv channel called dost it's rain tv rain they call it the second was echo of moscow it's radio station so the independent journalists from uh, those uh, tv channel and radio stations they has their own youtube channels so they operate as interviewers so i watched the video of some the professor of the psychology that what he was actually answering the question about what actual Russians, why are they voting for war operations, so on. So there are like few components. I don't actually remember all of them, but the, the first one that Russia, the totalitarian country, needs the enemy outside the country to live in the state of mobilization. So in the state of mobilization, any sort of weak economic is forgiven by the people because there are like this bigger thing that mm. we need to achieve. We need to fight with the enemy. So any resources that we have, yeah, this is uh, why it's called mobilization, yeah, they need to use all those resources to fight the enemy. So right now, as he said, he has some sort of data, the amount of depression in the Russia, he calculated based on the amount of the medical supplements that are responsible for to fight with the depression or the... And you're talking about depression as a mental health thing, not an economic thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 
so I'm sure that calling it depression, it's not right because it's some sort of like mental issues that the, the Russians are facing right now. So the depression, how he called it, it's some sort of the marker that society, Russian society, are against the war. But depression actually says for them that they do not know how to act in the current situation. So even if they don't support war operation or the special operation, however you can call it, in the Ukraine, they cannot be vocal even inside their own families about it. That's why inside them is forming the conflict. I'm not with the Russian government, but I don't know what can I do. And you need to understand that, as I said, in the Russia, they don't have alternative sources of information. Because in Ukraine, you have these big oligarchs, each of them have its own TV channel, and they can do whatever they want. They can show the picture, whatever is more good for them. It was back before the war. So we have this sort of different views on the one picture, and people could choose. They could make their own vision based on those three or four visions that they seen on the television or other media channels. In Russia, all the largest TV, media or radio stations, newspapers are controlled by the government. So what government, what picture government want to create, all people in Russia will receive the same picture on the any level. Mm. That's why I think that their support for the war in Ukraine is based on the belief that the picture that they receive is true and they have this enemy on the borders called Ukraine supported by NATO or USA and at the same time they have the Baltic countries on the border of the Russia who are in the NATO a long long time ago and they don't treat them as the enemy but they say that Ukraine if Ukraine would become the part of the NATO blah 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 and I think this is like the power of the propaganda, because even the most intelligent people in Ukraine, I don't know, they feel the need to explain why this bullshit is bullshit. And I think this is one of the instruments of propaganda, that you waste the resources of your opponent or the enemy to make it clear why this is bullshit. And they make this bullshit day by day. So these laboratories, the Nazis, the fascists, how they call us, I don't know. The last thing that was all the world was shocked, the bombing of the maternal house in the Mariupol. I'm sure you've heard about it. The, they, yeah, so you're talking about a hospital, right, where people yeah. give birth and there are children. Yeah. Yeah. So they said that the, we have this battalion called Azov that was formed in 2014 when Ukraine faced uh, the first aggression from the Russia. And we didn't have an army because army was corrupted by the Russian agents from a long time ago. So the tanks were sold to Russia. I don't know. This was the full destruction of our army. So basically, they said that hospital where the women give birth to the children is being occupied by this Nazi battalion Azov. That's why they bombed it. It's crazy. If you've seen the photos, there are like real women they're carrying their newborn babies out of there. Philip, um, I really appreciate you being here today. I, I think 
a lot of people are feeling helpless and are hoping that it ends soon. How can somebody who's feeling helpless, who's not in Ukraine, who's listening to this help? Oh, this is a good question, but I think I don't have an actual answer for that because there are so much and so different types of the channels that people can actually help. One of them, they can make the peaceful protests, and a lot of people do actually in the different parts of the world. The second one, as I heard, there is a well-known website called Airbnb, and a lot of people are actually renting apartments from the different cities of the Ukraine. We all understand that no one will live there, but the money that they pay for those apartments are um, being used by those people to buy the products. This is the second way. So you can rent the apartment for a day for like 20 bucks or whatever amount of money you want. The easiest way is to find any sort of Ukrainian and just write something good for them. Like, I feel for you, everything will be okay, or maybe wording is not the best, but I'm sure that as I received the message from the people from the Stockholm, from the Portuguese, where I've been, it's so good. You have the contact from outside the world because inside Ukraine, we all support each other. But when someone from another part of the world supporting us, we are not feeling alone in this world, you know, mm. because war is making your world very small and having a feeling of you not being alone in this situation is very important for the people. I understand. Philip, our hearts go out to you and everybody that you know that you're connected to, to the country. And I just hope it ends soon. I hope it ends soon. But I, I really appreciate you being here today and sharing what you've been through, what you're going through. Thank you. Actually, Mark, thank you for the opportunity to express my feelings because this is probably the first time when I talk to someone about what I actually feel. Because inside, with my relatives, we discuss emotions on another level. We try to support ourselves. We are not trying to open the can with emotions because we all have different emotions. And sometimes we even start a fight with each other because the we are so full of different emotions and we are trying to make better for ourselves that sometimes it becomes not very um, attractive and not very um, healthy in terms of communication with uh, each other. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you. We'll, we'll stay in touch personally. Like I said, I just hope it ends soon. But I appreciate you sharing what you've been through and what you're going through today, Philip. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sweathead. If it's your first time here, please subscribe. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend or leave a kind rating. For more information about our strategy classes, events and books, visit www.sweathead.com. And yes, you can find us on Instagram at, at Sweathead.